Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. My guest this week is Valerie Pringle, one of Canada's most respected TV broadcasters of the last 50 years and a former host of CTV's Canada AM and CBC's Midday. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Valerie Pringle has had a stellar career as a broadcaster and journalist for half a century. She was a well-known anchor of two national news programs and hosted several TV series, breaking glass ceilings for women in television and paving the way for a new generation of women in the media. But when she took a pause from her broadcast career, it didn't mean retirement for Valerie. She engaged with the nonprofit world, championing HIV research and the end of stigma for CANFAR, the Canadian Foundation for AIDS Research. And she also led efforts to build a Trans-Canada Trail, working for over two decades to see it come to life. She continues to advocate for the treatment of mental illness in her current role as chair of CAMH, the Centre for Addiction and Mental Health Foundation based in Toronto. Valerie is a member of the Order of Canada, awarded for her work in broadcasting and philanthropy. Recently, Valerie decided to come out of semi-retirement to become host and producer of Canada Files, an interview series broadcast on PBS Network, featuring discussions with prominent Canadians. Valerie's an inspiration for all women working in front or behind the screen. Here's my conversation with a Canadian TV legend, Valerie Pringle. Valerie, it's such a pleasure and an honor welcoming you on The Brand is Female today. <laughs> Thank you for making time. Thank you. And it, it is a huge honor because um, I, you know, interview women entrepreneurs. I interview women leaders, uh, women executives. It's rare that I have an iconic figure from the broadcasting industry. So I hope my interview skills are up to par, but it's always <laughs> such a pleasure having a conversation with you. Well, I'm thrilled that you asked. I'm happy to talk to you. So I like to start these interviews by going back in time. And I'm very curious to hear the answer uh, to this question, you know, in, in, in your case specifically. When you were growing up, what kind of career did you imagine for yourself? And did you think, was it already part of, of your plan to, uh, to work in media and broadcasting? Well, probably not when I was little at all. And quite frankly, I mean, it was not until, you know, I was in what was called grade 13. They still had that when I was in high school. And uh, a guidance counselor, I got my slot for, you know, 15 minutes to chat with this person uh, about my future. I'd assumed I'd go off to university like my brother and sister had who studied, you know, at U of T, English and history and whatever, you know, not very inspired. And this guidance counselor, God bless him, I think it's like one of the greatest questions actually turned to me and asked me, I was probably, what, 17 years old, and he said, what are you interested in? No one had ever asked me that. Not my parents, not anybody. Who does? It's too wow. obvious. And I said, I had an answer for that. I said, I love news and current affairs, and I love these shows on the CBC. At that point, it was like, this hour has um, seven days, you know, long ago, because I'm old. Right. And, <laughs> you know, magazines and I like that stuff. I, that was what interested me. And he said, well, you know, what about studying journalism? What about studying radio and television mm -hmm. arts at, at Ryerson, which what it mm -hmm. called at that time. And I just instantly went, that's what I'm interested in doing. And I, you know, as a good student, 
I went down to Ryerson. I picked radio and television. I don't know why over journalism and looked and saw studios and saw microphones. And I mean, I really didn't think I'd be an on-air person. That was not a goal that I thought, hmm, I don't Hmm. know anything much about this, but I'm, I could be a researcher or maybe a producer or whatever that is, but I could be involved in this. And I went just like that and that, and instantly that's what I wanted to do. So I studied there and still didn't really know where it was going to take me. There was a summer job that came up uh, at CFRB Radio, which is a huge radio station in Toronto, biggest one in Canada. And they hired students every summer to be what's called good news Mm -hmm. reporters uh, for all the old people in the audience. And young voices would come on and tell happy, positive stories. These were, you know, students like me from universities and colleges. So I thought, I am going to get that job. I don't even know if I'm interested in radio, but I am. If there's a job, I'm going to get it. And I did focus on that news director and on that job and applying and phoning and phoning and phoning. And and I got it. And it was so interesting and so fun to be running around with a little Sony tape recorder, interviewing people, writing up little one-minute stories, voicing them. And that was it, you know, and that was 1973. That was 50 years ago. Isn't that incredible? And, you know, from there, I got hired back to that radio station. You know, there were certainly bumps in the road and ups and downs. And, you know, even a time I was sort of taken off air because I was too shrill, according to the program directors. (laughs) I guess that's sort of misogynistic, eh? I, well, I was going to ask, what was, what was the landscape like for women in broadcasting at that time? You know, were there a lot of women anchors? I assume not. I mean, they're still, we're still working on uh, improving representation. But uh, what was it like in, you know, when you were out of school in the 70s? There weren't many women, of course. There were usually one or two. Like at, at CFRB Radio, the person was Betty Kennedy. And she followed in a line. They'd always had one sort of woman, who, even from the 30s, who'd done kind of homemaker stuff. But Betty was the premier interviewer on uh, CFRB. She also was famous on, on CBC television as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Jan Tennant was a newscaster at that point on the CBC. She was an anchor. Um, there weren't many women in private broadcasting, I don't think. Adrian Clarkson, mm-hmm. of course, was a star on CBC television at that yeah. point. But even you read about her early days of, you know, having to do, you know, summer reading pieces, wearing a bikini. Honestly, can you imagine, you know, Adrian's mm-hmm. so smart and dignified. Obviously, she had a, a brilliant career and carried on. But even that was the kind of mentality a bit at that right. time. So. I won't say it was tokenism, and there were certainly Mm -hmm. role models for me. There weren't a ton Mm -hmm. of them. Uh, Barbara Frum, obviously. What am I saying? How could I forget Barbara? Barbara was there, of course. Superstar. Actually, some of our most iconic uh, broadcasters really uh, began at that time. And did you, who supported you along the way? You've mentioned, you know, a few women who who were role models and inspiration, but, you know, who was really kind of, who were your allies and and who was that support network who uh, gave you some some opportunities along the way? Interesting. Probably my greatest mentor was, was Andy Barry, 
who started broadcasting in Montreal and came to CFRB radio. And I, I was assigned to him as his producer because at that point I'd been taken off the air because <laughs> they thought, oh, Valerie, you know, your unbridled enthusiasm in this voice, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe what you need to be doing is setting up stuff. And Andy always believed, you know, in me, I guess. And he had an interview show every night. And he would put me on to tell stories again. You know, I'd go out and, and get a piece. And a, one of my most treasured possessions, uh, Eva, is a piece of equipment that he had the engineering department create, which was a little metal thing that he called a shrill filter that went okay. from a level from normal to excessive to Valerie, which was a joke, <laughs> obviously. He was so kind. And he would he'd put me on the air. And in fact, the program director told him a couple of times, really, don't encourage her. And yet, funnily enough, when Andy left to, to go and do another show, he'd done a nightly interview uh, program on CFRB, which I'd helped him with. And then when he left, they said to me, do you want to take over from him? And I, you know, quite frankly, I was shocked. I was in my 20s. I think I just had my first child and I was scared to death. Um, you know, but he gave me courage and he was great. I mean, obviously, Betty was encouraging by the time I got to CBC. So was Barbara Frum because I, I shared a studio mm -hmm. with her and, and boy, she was amazing. So tell me about that time, you know, first first few years at CBC. What was it like, you know, go, going from radio to TV and being on a screen? Well, you know, that was a big choice. You know, ooh, I like my little life at CFRB. And I think I had two mm -hmm. little children at that point. And, you know, I had a lot of control over what I did, my little interview show. And then the opportunity to do some, a show called Midday came up and I auditioned for that. And, you know, of course, I was scared. Um, but then you thought, OK, it's Canada we're talking to now. We've got pictures. And uh, it was a wonderful team and crew we worked with. And it, it had a lovely feeling that show midday. It was sort of, you know, again, I'm dating myself, this country in the morning and what Zosky was doing. And it was a really lovely, warm feeling of the country and, and seeing pictures and introducing characters and people. And it, it was a wonderful show to do. And I loved it and loved being at the CBC until, you know, it had been about nine years and, I was ready for a change and Canada M came up. And again, I was, mm -hmm. I was scared about, oh, God, you know, can I do that? Get up so early in the morning. But doing a live show was really appealing to have that energy and have mm -hmm. that control. And so, you know, I made the move to Canada M. And again, a whole uh, different energy about it, more newsy. Uh, you were really part of people's daily lives. And, mm -hmm. and it, that was mm -hmm. wonderful until, again, after about nine years, it was time for a change. And obviously, you know, audiences for live news shows are, are huge. And it was it was a lot of Canadians watching on their screens. Um, and when you started, this, this was pre, you know, social media. But what, did you feel any type of pressure or any, um, you know, kind of facing feedback or in some cases, I expect criticism from from audiences? What kind of what kind of responsibility came with that? Uh, there, there was criticism, of course. Some people, you know, in those days, of course, luckily they couldn't email you or just say something nasty on Twitter. Um, you right. know, people would write letters. But I mean, really, quite frankly, the overwhelming sense was people were so kind. Everyone would come mm -hmm. up to you and say things like, oh, I love you. And you think, man, oh, man, this isn't brain surgery. I'm just 
you know, hosting a TV show or people would send sweet notes like, I'm new to this country. I learned English hearing you speak. I mean, these are things that are so really moving and touching. I got a chance to travel. I saw the country. I met so many people. So Mm -hmm. it all was outweighed by the opportunity I had and the people I had a chance to speak to. You'd be sitting Mm -hmm. in a tent in the Arctic with five generations of women in one family going, wow, look where I am, or the chance to talk to Oscar Peterson or Oprah Winfrey Mm -hmm. or, or just get into very ordinary people's lives and and have a glimpse. I mean, really, it was it was a real gift. Hmm. What might be, maybe there's more than one, I'm sure there's more than one, but a memorable interview for you, someone who really uh, kind of marked you, you know, when you when you interviewed them on air? Well, there were many and I just mentioned like Oscar Peterson, June Callwood, Mm -hmm. Oprah, uh, you know, I really, you know, listened and learned from them. There's that great co- quote from Anais Nin that says, you know, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And I know at the different stages of my life, you know, when I, you know, was had little kids or then bigger kids or dealing with parents who were aging or dying, you'd sort of look for wisdom. Um, there were two interviews I remember, though, that, you know, Robin Williams was, it was amazing. It was one of those interviews that was so perfect that it kind of went, because you know Robin was like manic, crazy, hilarious. Yeah, very intense. But, and he had those moments, and I'd be weeping with laughter, but then he got serious again about, you know, his kids or about drugs or, you know, there was sort of a sine wave to it of seriousness and, and funny craziness, which was so perfect. It was a great interview. Another interview that honestly, I think was probably the scariest one I ever did was Margaret Thatcher. Having seen her like chew Barbara from even Peter (laughs) Mansbridge. I was so well prepared for that interview. My interviewing style, which developed over many years, often was very conversational or you just throw Mm -hmm. out a line or a question or, you know, a thought. People say, is there a question in there? But with her, Mm -hmm. I'd seen her rip people's heads off so much that every word I parsed and thought about so carefully so that she wouldn't spend the whole interview like ripping apart my question or correcting me. And the end result was, you know, it was a it was a really good conversation. But man, was I scared. <laughs> and what what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? You've mentioned, you know, a few people who uh, uh, kind of supported you uh, uh, along the way. But what's the what's the one piece of advice that you still recall to this day? Well, you know, June Callwood was such an inspiration to me. You know, the Canadian journalist who you know did so much in terms of you know, helping people and founding organizations that helped, you know, unwed moms, if that's the term, Casey House for, you know, people with AIDS at that point, there was nowhere for them to go and the stigma was huge. But, you know, she always um, talked about kindness Mm. being the only and the most important thing. And I remember her saying to me, you know, when I see things that are unjust, you know, I interfere. And I think, you know, we always think of interfering as a bad thing. But when June said it, it's it's such an important thing. It's it's not a pejorative. It's like, yes, mm. interfere, act, get involved. And it's inspirational. Mm, yeah, I love that. I think the the role or the way journalists uh, bring us news today and, and, and report on 
on events has obviously been heavily influenced by social media and the, the, the you know, and even digital media in general. We, we get news at such a rapid pace and we also get news from our community sometimes before we get it from media outlets. And that's changed over years. And you were part, you saw that transformation happen. So how, how did that change the way news anchors, broadcasters uh, did their job? Well, you know, Eva, again, dating myself, I'm sort of lucky because, you know, I was gone from daily news and current affairs in 2001. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was doing documentaries and series after that, travel shows and, and things. You know, I will say I, I look at so much news today, not all of it, still obviously great people doing good work, but it's tough. It's a tough environment. You know, the medium is sort of huge transition slash dying in many ways, you know, moving over to everybody's computers and phones, etc. And I think so often of that line, it was a very famous book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I mean, there's so much just silly talk, talk over one another, reality, crap, values, awful, self-importance. I, I don't know. Anyway, what what can I tell you except that I'm old? So, and just to flash forward, because, of course, I didn't work in broadcasting for about 13 years. I worked on mm-hmm. non-for-profit projects and built yeah. trail and worked for the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. But, you know, I find myself now at almost age 70 um, hosting a television show again. But this is for PBS. Uh, it's yeah. a series that a friend named Jim Deeks created and did for three seasons. And they're half-hour interviews. Uh, with famous and remarkable and wonderful Canadians. So to me, you know, to hear people with really interesting stories and and values and insights uninterrupted Mm -hmm. for half an hour, you know, to really have some insight into where they came from and the arc of their lives and what they learned, that, man, that's that's such a treat. And, you know, people Mm -hmm, would always mm -hmm. say to me, when I wasn't working, do you miss it? And I think, no, I had a great run. I had a great career for a long time, and I was lucky beyond belief. Um, but this opportunity, you know, I couldn't miss, really. I, mm-hmm. I had to do it. And this show, Canada Files, I'm, I'm really proud of. Congratulations on a new show, and that's just uh, coming out now on on PBS. Uh, so we'll we'll be watching the the the, the first few episodes and and uh, the rest of the series. How did you go about choosing who you would have on as guests for the show? That was easy. You know, I, you know, it's funny. Even though I haven't been, you know, broadcasting for a long, long time, um, you know, there are people you have a list of who. You know, mm-hmm. I've got it here, I think, list number one, you know, with uh, Louise Arbour and, and Mark Carney and Clara Hughes. I mean, I tried for Malcolm Gladwell, didn't get Malcolm Gladwell, but Margaret McMillan, the um, historian, Mikhail Jean, Cindy Blackstock, the Indigenous Child's Right activist, um, Eugene Levy. You know, so there were all these people that you thought, oh, what great stories and a great mix of people, the Moshe Safdie, the architect. Uh, Louise Penny, you know, the mystery writer. They're just really interesting people. Uh, Suzanne Simard, who's the professor of forest ecology at at UBC, Mm -hmm. whose lives have had, you know, these, as I say, really interesting arcs. And they have had a lot of courage and they've they've got stories to tell. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there were some people I 
I couldn't get. You know, some of the famous ones are, are a little, you know, more difficult to connect with the Hollywood Canadian stars. But, you know, I'm thrilled with the group I have. And funnily enough, of course, I'm already thinking, well, maybe another season, mm-hmm. you know, just find 13 more. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. So is there someone on your list that you've always dreamed of interviewing and, and maybe, you know, one of them you, you scored for the first season? Uh, I'm interested in women specifically, who's an iconic woman who's been on your list for a long time. Well, I got a lot of those women, you know, and but I want to interview Rosie Abella. I love Rosie Abella. She's amazing. But Louise Arbour, we got this mm-hmm. year. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Margaret McMillan, Clara Hughes, Suzanne Smart, Roberta Bonder. Um, and Roberta had interesting stories. You know, I never realized she'd been actually fired after being an astronaut. After doing what she did in training for like 15 years, basically, they they canned her. And that, know that was either. an interesting story. Mm-hmm. No, it's a really interesting story. Um, yeah, so actually, I think out of the 13, probably, and Mikhail Jean, her story, you know, being a, a refugee from Haiti and arriving in Stetford Mines, and, you know, making a life and, you know, her mom, basically, you know, single mom, but she talks, there's one moment where she talks about uh, Barack Obama made a state visit to Canada, and he's walking down the stairs of Air Force One, and she's meeting him, and she said, It was Black History Month. It was February. And we looked at each other and he said, imagine the commander in chief of the United States meeting the commander in chief of Canada on this day Mm. at this time. You know, this this is history. She said you could feel who just, you know, how it was. We were happy. Mm. (laughs) It's a great story. People should know that story. And Americans who love this American dream, it's only can happen here that, you know, people can rise up and you go, well, here's a story. Look, look at Macau Jean. And it's it's often in those anecdotes that we get kind of the full grasp of really what, you know, their their experience has been and their influence has been. I love that anecdote because it represents so much, you know, for what Mikhail did uh, for women, for black women, for BIPOC in general and for Canadians. Yes. And happily so. You know, she yeah. she said she she was really happy pushing through those barriers. It's, mm. you know, a, a challenge for her and, and embraced yeah, and she did it with a lot of grace. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And she, I'm lucky to have one of these little Order of Canada mm-hmm. pins, but I, she was the person who presented me with mine. Ah, wonderful, ah, wonderful. So you, you've come full circle in uh, in having her on the show. But I, should, I was going to say one thing, which, you know, again, you know, I just sort of refer to 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, after I'd done broadcasting, and this is sort of maybe interesting to to women, 
you know, I did face that situation. Now, what do I do? Do I look like a loser? I'm not on TV anymore. Does that make me loser lady? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, at the time, I'd been very involved with um, some not-for-profit boards, one in particular, TransCanada Trail. And I was chair of that. And then we set a goal to connect that trail across the country. And there was a goal to raise $75 million. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how we do that. But, you know, but we did it. And I was, you know, really engaged and passionate about that and traveled the country. And we raised $83 million and we connected that trail. And that project still continues on. And after 20 years, I sort of finished with that a year ago. Our son has joined that board. But that mm -hmm. probably... I would say I'm more proud of that than mm -hmm. anything I've done besides my family because I've got, you know, three kids and five grandkids and, and and a great marriage and I you know I'm so proud of the trail. So in 15 years ago I got involved through Michael Wilson um who was really a key person for raising awareness about mental illness in mm -hmm. this country mm -hmm. uh with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, a mm -hmm. huge hospital in Toronto and so you know, I've been on campaigns, I've spoken for them, and I chair the uh, foundation board there now where we're raising half a billion dollars for a new research institute to really, you know, make some huge advances in trying to understand and treat mental illness. So I found two projects. I was so lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, the trail and, and mental health, not unconnected. And, you know, I was happily engaged and working hard on that. And quite frankly, those are things, you know, I'm happy to do and will continue to do. I always thought, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 70, but when I turned 60, I was going like, don't waste your 60s. I led a team that sponsored three Syrian families, like just mm -hmm. really lean in. These are good years. These are really good years, by the way, Eva, you're young, but 60s are really good. I'm sort of going, oh God, what's 70 going to be like? But you I make think them it's look okay. good. Well, I hope I hope you were able to convince everybody that you were not loser lady after you know leaving. <laughs> well, yeah, being on that no. pause from broadcasting. No, and I, you know, it was interesting. I had a lot of friends and stuff who who were looking for projects and yeah. things to do. So I was yeah. lucky yeah. to find jobs that I loved. And quite frankly, a lot of the broadcasting skills that I had served me well in governance uh, and fundraising. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was going to ask, and you 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 answered my question uh, without me having to to phrase it. Um, how did you go about choosing those causes? And I know you've obviously been very involved with Canfar uh, project. I I also get to be involved with. What made you you know want to be involved with mental health with Canada Trail specifically? Uh, you're doing amazing work at the at the head of the board for CAMH now. Um, so what 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 was it that made you choose these causes specifically? Those ones, you know, and you mentioned CANFAR, the Canadian Foundation for AIDS Research. My husband and I have been involved in that 25, 30 years. I think, you know, my brother's gay, and I think we looked at his friends, and I knew people in broadcasting for sure dying of AIDS at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And we thought, you know, really, this is the great health challenge of our time, our time then, and, you know, that our kids will face and have to deal with. So, you know, Andy's been chair of that organization for decades and decades and still works as hard as ever uh, on trying to move it to the next level and what's the strategy. Uh, with trail, you know what? I, I love exercise. I love being out of doors. I used to look at the little map when the Transcanada Trail was a new idea that they put in Canadian Geographic magazine with a red line mm -hmm. across the country. And I'd look at that and I'd think, wow, that's an 
awesome project. And I would get them to do stories on Canada AM. Like, let's talk about the trail to the point where they would call like, oh, roll their eyes. <laughs> and when I retired from Canada AM, the staff all got together and bought me meters of trail which were available at that time. So my name is in pavilions across the country and Wonderful. nothing could have touched me more because I loved that idea. I think it's the, as I say, the greatest idea in the history of the world. So mm-hmm. randomly and separately, I was recruited for the board. I ended up chairing it, which again, it's a, a familiar theme here today. I was terrified. <laughs> what do I know? I'm a broadcaster. What do I know about you know, finances and government relations and HR mm-hmm. and doing all the things that a board chair has to uh, look at. Uh, but it was a great experience for me. I learned a hell of a lot. I had a great team to work with, a wonderful president and CEO. And the goal of connecting for 2017 became so real and we were so passionate about it that it just carried us along. But you look and I look now and I think there's trail. I've seen it all across the country and people can get out and walk and it's great for their physical and mental health and they can explore Canada, but see our geography and learn about our history. I walk that trail all the time with my two very big smelly dogs Mm -hmm. in Niagara-on-the-Lake. So that trail just absolutely captivated me. And with CAMH, as I mentioned, Michael Wilson was a hero to my husband and me you know, for speaking out and talking about his son's suicide and saying, we've got to talk about this. So when I visited the Center for Addiction and Mental Health and took a tour with the famous, wonderful Dr. David Goldblum and saw the Dickensian facilities and the horrible, I really, I saw it as a social justice issue Mm. then that Mm. we have to improve things. Uh, Now I see it more as just a real beacon of hope that we can really make a difference in people's lives. You know, I still talk about stigma and, uh, you know, uh, improving access to care. But the research piece of it really, you know, the brain, we're we're on the cusp. So I really see huge value in in supporting that, um, Mm -hmm. also supporting people. Right. When I think of you, you're someone who truly embodies uh, leadership in, in my mind. You've, you know, you were a leader on air um, you, uh, you are committed to the causes you support and you're, you're really driving change in, in those areas. What is your definition of leadership and what do you think you bring your role, you know, at the head of a board as a broadcaster now that you're back on air? Uh, what, what, what does leadership mean to you? You know, it's interesting you say that because probably for a long time, Eva, I was uncomfortable with it. Mm. I used to have a wonderful um, board member on the Trans-Canada Trail Board, Bruce Simpson, who ran McKinsey in Canada. And I mean, he's superstar, so smart. And he was always saying, now, Valerie, you should be writing a book about leadership. And I think, you know, who me? Uh, you know, what? I would read that I'm book, too, absolutely. I'm too, uh, you know, conversational, casual. But I suppose I can see that, you know, that I am focused, I work hard. So I think the example is a good example. And I am collaborative. Mm -hmm. And I think the people I work with know I rely on them and I trust them and I want to work with them. You know, I suppose I I can be inspirational (laughs) because I am enthusiastic and I totally believe in the causes I believe in, which is why it's important to, to get involved with things that you're genuinely passionate about. And I genuinely am. 
So, you know, it's the same as, as asking people to give money. I was uncomfortable with that. And my husband was going like, <laughs> Valerie, you're not asking for yourself. These are things that you believe in, that you support, and you tell people why. Yeah. And they either say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, then, you know, God bless them. Maybe they give money to the ballet or, you know, another hospital or something else, and God bless them. Uh, if they don't give money at all, then hmm, don't like them. Um, That's on but them, yeah. maybe they say yes, and mm-hmm. then it, it's wonderful. So all you can do is try and inspire people by by what you do and how you act, and and quite frankly, do the work. It's it's you know people think oh you know what do you show up and and MC an event or something? No, I'm on like a million calls and a million meetings, and I'm in government offices and. You know, it's that kind of work, which mm-hmm. millions of people do in small communities. They're on committees and they're on bake sales and they do the work. You got to do the work. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned, you know, your your colleagues saying something about you writing a book on leadership, which I wholeheartedly agree with. You've mentioned also, you know, being scared in, in several, several times when a new opportunity was presented to you or you felt that you... Maybe we're not ready for it yet. Um, and that's a theme that comes up, you know, I think for a lot of individuals, for a lot of women. Um, in some cases, it's it's imposter syndrome or, you know, whatever we choose to call it. How how do you get over that fear? And it's interesting to hear you say, you know, even even recently uh, when PBS, uh, uh, the PBS project was uh, was being presented to you, there was still a hesitation. So how do you speak to yourself or what kind of, uh, you know, mechanisms do you resort to, to get through that fear? And, uh, and, and you always seem to be executing these projects with such comfort and, and grace and ease. Uh, it's, 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 you're not someone that we would peg as having imposter syndrome or even being scared of a, a new project like that. It's a really interesting question, Eva. You know, I, I read a quote, I think when I was getting worried about doing this Canada Files series, and uh, it was Viola Davis who was I read in the paper said something like, everything you ever wanted is on the other side of fear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it it is, you know, all of us are, oh, I can't do that. I mean, in fact, I really suspect people who are those kind of, you know, the guy I can do that. <laughs> well, where are you? You probably, you can't then. You know, fear is, is your brain really giving you a reality check and, and causing you to, you know, consider what's involved and think seriously about it. I always made all those lists, you know, pros and cons. Um, But then there is, uh, I think, required some courage, a leap mm-hmm. of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of, of Cindy Blackstock, one of my guests on Canada Files. You talk about being afraid of public speaking. And also, you know, she took the government to the Human Rights Commission. Mm-hmm. Like she had to, you know, over have courage. Right. And you got to just sometimes, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to her or what she's done at all, but you know, all of us in our own ways have to just go, yeah, let's do it. Let's, you just have to tough it out. And, and again, you know, if you do the work, things work out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. 
Um, you're back on air, you're back on television, you know, you, there, there was a pause in your broadcasting years. Uh, we know for some women on TV, it's not always obvious. Uh, you know, we saw uh, what happened with Lisa Laflamme without going into, into details of, of, of that case specifically, unless you want to. But um, do you think, you know, we're starting to see change? Do women still have a, a, an expiration date for uh, being on air on television in Canada, in North America? Or are we seeing uh, that this is changing and that, you know, women can still uh, can still be on TV, can still uh, host a show uh, past a certain age, past the age of 50 or 60? Wow, 50 or 60. Holy moly. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's interesting to say, and I don't know, looking at the landscape, the short answer, you know, obviously, you know, Lisa's situation was handled so badly, nobody can disagree with that. It was mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. plain awful. Um, you know, I still see Leslie Stahl on 60 Minutes, and I go, way to go, yeah. Leslie. Yeah, You're exactly. hanging in there. And, you know, Sandy Ronaldo, honest to Pete, she predated me at CTV, and she is she's still there doing the news. So there mm -hmm. are some, um, obviously not a lot. The, the joy of this show was that it's public television, so, you know, I, I raised the budget for this, which was the model that Jim Deeks had created because right. it's public television and you can get tax receipts for people. So, you know, it, it gave me enormous control, more control than I've ever had. I didn't have any kind of a boss besides the partner WNED in, in Buffalo saying to them, these are the people under these interviews. Fine. And they're good. But to pick who I want, got a wonderful producer I work with who I worked with decades ago uh, at midday called Jennifer Scott, who's so smart and organized, but I can say I want these people. I structure and think about and do the research, which is so fun because I go like, I can do this. I know how to do this and say, these are the edits that I want. <laughs> no one's going to argue with me. So anyway, that's one nice thing about being old and doing this is, is that control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, that's, it's, it's great. And I hope we continue seeing, you know, more women of all ages uh, be on air and be on air for a long time, especially when they're successful. Um, I want to open the secret, you know, Valerie broadcasting uh, playbook. A lot of women I speak to, entrepreneurs, um, executives even, you know, kind of struggle with their storytelling, right? Finding the right way to, uh, you know, position themselves through thought leadership or share, you know, their own journey. What's your advice when it comes to getting to the heart of that story? And for someone who is trying to tell their own, it's always e easier to do it for others, sometimes harder to do it for ourselves. But how can we get to you know, that, that, that right angle uh, when it comes to storytelling about ourselves. Yeah, it is hard because there's all kinds of things, as we know, mixed into it. This, you know, people don't like e even to hear their own voices or to see mm -hmm. themselves usually on mm -hmm. TV. Yeah. I mean, when, when you do, like you and I are probably just used to it. People are getting a little more used to it from Zoom calls. But True. even now I say to people, can we just talk on the phone? I'm sick of looking at myself. On a screen, So yeah. you, you got to get over it. There's a lot of self-consciousness you have to get mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to, even for photographs, I remember they'd take promo photographs. And you're like, oh, I feel so goofy. And you think, no, this is unprofessional. Just sit still, focus, do the job. And there's an element of, you know, get over yourself, 
stopping self-conscious, stopping goofy, stopping awkward, think. And, you know, back to the point, you just do the work. Like, you just tell your story to someone else you, and say, you listen to me and hear what I'm saying to you. I started this way, or this was the idea, or this was the, the kernel of, of what I wanted. And here it's gone to here. And someone maybe be able to hear it better. They say, okay, look, you just told me this, 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 and this. Put that in your story. You know, make it, you know, have a beginning and a middle and an end and an arc. And it's got to be interesting and it's got to be not too long. Mm -hmm. You know, I love one of Peter Ustinov's line is that everything that's ever been written is just a little bit too long. I'm always like, oh, tick tock, <laughs> move along. I probably have been talking way too much with you. So people, people need to shorten up their answers focus, get their story, get over awkwardness and goofiness, and yeah. just think, tell your story. It's mm -hmm. really important. Everybody has one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to tell yours? Mm -hmm. I love that advice of, you know, shortening it and really going for the concise version. Um, in closing, what would be your top maybe two pieces of advice for uh, anyone considering a career in broadcasting, in media, uh, whether it's in front or behind, you know, the screen. You know, and people, I talk to students a fair bit um, and they always call it the landscape so bad. And there's no money and there are no jobs. And, you know, all these old people are holding on to their jobs, <laughs> you know, it, so, you know, it's not easy. It probably Never was easy, um, but certainly, as we discussed earlier, <clears throat> the landscape is changing enormously. I mean, I, I just always have to believe, and I'm gobsmacked by the creativity and the energy of people who, you know, get out there and with their cameras or whatever, record stories and edit them. And, you know, now with, you know, people can upload to YouTube or mm -hmm. get on social media and get their stories out. Those Those things weren't available to people like me. You had to find a broadcaster. Mm. You had to go work for somebody. They were the only people who had access to, you know, people's homes, brains, you know, whatever. So that's an opportunity. But at the end of the day, it's got to be, you know, which is a typical answer. It's got to be about passion and energy. And you've got to have persistence. You've got mm -hmm. to, you know, I think of myself getting that frigging summer job as a good news reporter. I yeah. killed for that. And I will say that I used to say to my kids, phone again, phone back, phone mm -hmm. back. And they'd be like, oh no, I'm awkward. No. People love enthusiasm. People, you know, have to yeah. see that you are willing to go harder, farther, you know, more diligently than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And it's about work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that wonderful advice and thank you for making time today. We'll tune in to Canada Files and uh, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you, Eva. Thank you very, very much. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brandy's Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. 
Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.